0: Morning. Today's scripture contains four excerpts from four different writers, beginning with John. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. From the Old Testament prophet Joel Then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. From Paul's letter to the Colossians. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God and then from the Gospel of Matthew. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you,
1: Lynn, and thanks to all the many marvelous musicians who have blessed us this day on screen and in person. We're grateful for all of you. Thank you for, for what you do. And so the journey continues. The journey we talked about beginning last week, the journey toward extravagant generosity, the heart of giving. Last week's theme was ministry flows from the heart. And we based our thoughts on 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, before taking that passage line by line, we explored the heart as a biblical concept. And we'll be referencing that concept throughout this journey this year and beyond, I do hope. That journey toward extravagant generosity. Last week, we looked at our passage and we outlined the journey for us. And we were reminded not to be full of ourselves, according to the writer, not to be obsessed with money. We were reminded to go after God, to seek the giver and not the gifts. We were reminded of John Wesley's second of his three general, three simple rules to do good. We were reminded to be rich in helping others. And we were reminded to always be extravagantly generous. This week's theme, or the first part of it, actually, when I put this together, I was thinking four Sundays for Stewardship. We're going to try to do it in three, so we're blending a couple of things today, and I hope that works out okay for you and from my perspective as well. But we begin with the art of love. Relationships are matters of the heart. The gospel lesson that Lynn read so well from John 13, the cross looms large before our Lord. He's gathered with his closest followers in the upper room. And he reminds them that they are called to love one another. How will other folks know that we are disciples of our Lord? Not because we are always able to keep all the rules. Not because we're always able to say and do the right things. Not because we're able to move through this world without ever offending anyone. They'll know we are Christians by the love we have for one another. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Relationships are matters of the heart. Who are some of the folks who have loved us and encouraged us and affirmed us and inspired us across the years and have done it all with extravagant generosity? On this Sunday, I'd like for us to look back and to remember all of those folks who've had the most profound influence on us. How did their extravagant generosity impact your life and my life, the lives of our families, the life of this church family across the years? How many stories are there to tell? And we need to be about the business of telling those stories. We forget that sometimes. We get so caught up in those things that disturb us. We forget we have a story to tell. I think about one of my favorite old time TV shows, maybe not too old time, back in the 80s. Some of you remember in the heat of the night, and Carol O'Connor's character, Chief Bill Gillespie of the Sparta, Mississippi Police Department. And one of his favorite expressions was do tell, do tell. We do tell this amazing story. And one of the ones who's told it the best over the last few years, I think in our denomination anyway, from our particular tribe of Christians is Bishop Robert Snaes. He wrote a book called Faithful Practices or Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. I get the words "faithful" and "fruitful" mixed up. I think because they are akin to one another, and there were some spin-off books from that first book, and there are some amazing stories in those books and about generosity. Some of them have made a real impact on I me. Mean, I want to share one with you. You may remember it. Some of you, many of you, maybe have read the book, but there was a downtown. And it's a true story, and a truth story. I hope a downtown congregation in a moderately sized town. And they occasionally had homeless persons who would stop by and ask for, for handouts. Sometimes street people would be found sleeping on the front steps. And so the staff, like church staffs do sometimes, like we do, we develop they develop all kinds of rules and guidelines. And policies about how to help these folks and where to refer these folks when they stop by looking for help. They had many discussions about the pros and cons of giving cash or giving vouchers or giving out the addresses of other agencies in the community that might be able to help. As the pastor was leaving the church field one afternoon, he noticed that the part time custodian was taking two large bags of trash out to the, the dumpster, the trash bin in the alley. And there was a homeless person who was sprawled out on the ground by one of those trash bins, barely conscious. As the custodian approached the trash bin, he set the, the bags of trash down. He pulled out his wallet. He removed a few bills. And without being asked, he walked over to the homeless man and he gave him this money and he said something to him and then he continued his work and returned to church. The pastor was amazed and humbled by this extraordinary display of generosity. The part-time janitor who earned less money than anyone else on that church staff, without being asked, had spent his own money to give generously to this man sprawled out by the dumpster. He gave generously without even being asked while the church staff had just spent three hours talking about policies and rules and regulations and guidelines on how to help people. The pastor asked the custodian why he gave the money and he pressed him and asked him, well, he's homeless. You don't know what he's going to do with this money. Why would you give him the money? What if he uses it for alcohol or drugs and the part-time custodian said I always do what I can I give them a little money and then I say God bless you because I figure there's some mother's son some father's child and so I give them something what they do with that money they'll have to answer to God about I have to answer to God about what I do with mine do tell relationships matters of the heart and I cannot envision any strong positive human relationships that can thrive without the ongoing expression of extravagant generosity how can that happen I don't believe it can generous with our words of praise generous with our time Generous with our supportive presence in those times when we're needed the most. And sometimes, oftentimes, supportive with our financial gifts. I understand that we need to be careful and prayerful and thoughtful when we give money, especially within families. And I don't know if any of you wrestle with this or not, where the boundaries are. We don't want to use our money to enable inappropriate behavior. But there are times when extravagant generosity can open a door and lift a burden and make a path through the wilderness for someone who cannot see their way forward. Have you ever had the privilege of offering such a gift? Have you ever been on the receiving end of such a gift? I believe that marriage is the most significant human relationship. And I also believe that there cannot be a healthy and growing marriage without extravagant generosity. We sang the the song just a little while ago. In his book on marriage, Love to Stay, Adam Hamilton includes a couple of stories about selfless, sacrificial love. About extravagant generosity in marriage. Now the first one I think is a little bit funny. And I hope you won't throw me under the church bus for telling it, but anyway, here goes. There was an elderly couple, and they had lay down for bed one night. And the woman said to her husband, when we were younger, you used to lie close to me. And the man sighed and moved over. The woman said, I remember when you used to hold my hand. The man sighed again, and he reached out and took her hand. Then the woman said, I remember when you used to nibble my ear. This time the man angrily threw back the covers and, and got out of bed, shot the woman, asked, where are you going? To get my teeth, he replied. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Hamilton tells that story, and then he tells another one. He's the founding pastor of the Church of the Resurrection, a United Methodist Congregation in Leewood, Kansas. And this story really, really... Moved me in a serious way. It's, he said, it's the most powerful vision of ministry and of marriage that I've seen in all my ministry. What marriage is supposed to look like? He said, it's the story of John and Denise. He said, John and Denise were founding members of our congregation back in 1990. They and their two elementary age sons helped in a host of ways as we launched this new community of believers. Denise had suffered a brain tumor many years earlier, but had long been in remission, and then it returned, and it came back with a vengeance, and it was malignant, and it was inoperable, and would not respond to treatment. It was obvious that at some point soon, she would succumb. John, Denise, and their sons had moved to Columbia, Missouri to be closer to family. One day, John called And let me know that the end was drawing near. So Adam Hamilton said, I drove two hours to Columbia in order to spend some time with them. I rang the doorbell and a voice from upstairs says, it's unlocked. Come on in. He had just finished giving Denise a bath and was doing her hair and putting on her makeup. I watched as he took her in his arms, carried her downstairs, set her gently at the kitchen table. He made us bologna sandwiches and gently fed Denise, wiping her face tenderly after each bite. Now and then, Denise would have a brief flash of awareness, as though she recognized something familiar. But most of the time, there was just a blank look in her eyes. When we finished, John and I prayed together for Denise, giving her to God. As I got back in my car to start back, he said, I broke down. The tears flowed down my face. This, I thought, is what marriage looks like. It wasn't about a piece of paper. It had long ago stopped being about sex or romance, fun, or even friendship. This was marital love. And a commitment that John and Denise had made to each other for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. To love and to cherish until they were parted by death. The art of love. Extravagant generosity, relationships are matters of the heart in marriage and in the church, anywhere, anytime, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. Extravagant generosity has the potential to change all of our relationships in this world for the better, all of them. Change us from saying in the church, change us from saying, well, you know, we can't afford to do that. (laughs) Change us from saying that to saying, wow, would you just look at what God is up to in this place? Let me change gears here. Hopefully keep moving in the same direction. Hopefully I won't put it in reverse and start backing up, but... I do want to change gears for a minute in those passages, those other three passages, three verses that Lynn read a while ago. And think about those for just a moment as we consider extravagant generosity and the road that stretches out before us. And if I might hazard a guess, I'd say we're about two-thirds of the way there. But I hope the trip has not proven too difficult for you. Some folk travel better than others. As far as bumps in the road go, the twists and the sudden turns, I know those have come along, and I considered offering an apology. But then I remembered that the smooth, wide, easy roads often lead to undesirable locations. Extravagant generosity, the road less traveled, I'm afraid. It'll be a great day, though, when we all arrive. Some of us will wonder, why didn't we start on this journey sooner? This is the land where I've always wanted to live. And hopefully, we'll say this feels like home. And we're going to stay in this land of extravagant generosity. And we won't need these cardboard boxes anymore. Maybe we can send them to the recycle place. Or maybe we can fill them up with good stuff not leftovers, not dent cans, not out of date stuff, but fill them up with good stuff and give them away freely to those who need them. Maybe that's what life looks like, a little glimpse of what life looks like in the land of extravagant generosity. And now the theme of this part two, for just a moment now, I'm I'm thinking about bucket list, not just for individuals and for families, but, but for the church as well. Bucket list, vision and hope, inspirations of the heart. And I don't think I would be too far off if I assume that most of us here have seen the 2007 movie Bucket List, or The Bucket List, Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson, two veteran actors, two terrific actors. And they portray two terminally ill men who have this list of things they want to do before they, quote, kick the bucket. And some of it's really funny and some of it's very moving. And the interaction of these two is, is amazing as they are driven by this sense of urgency. We need to get this done. We don't know what tomorrow might hold. Today we take a moment and think about the bucket list for the church. What would we most like to see happen in and through this church in 2021? 2021? What most of us would like to see is for 2020 to be over with. That's where we start. But what would we like to see happen in our lives and in this church? In what ways do our passions for the church align with our personal desires? A few of my, my thoughts here, just a few, and then we'll be finished. There are three verses of scripture that we've designated for today that were read a moment ago. Joel 2, 28, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And then the second, Colossians 3, 1. Therefore, if you were raised with Christ, look for those things that are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And then Matthew six thirty three seek first and foremost God's kingdom And God's righteousness. And then all these other things will be added to you. Joel offers direction for us as we consider vision for the church. In the weeks and months and years to come. What will it look like? 1982. Epcot at Disney World was completed. Walt Disney had recently passed away. And the MC at the ceremonies that day, the master of ceremonies, asked Mrs. Disney if she might come up and say a few words. And when he called her to the podium, he smiled and said, Mrs. Disney, I just wish Walt could have seen this. She smiled and responded by saying, He did. Vision comes about as God inspires people to prophesy. And to dream and, and to have visions, what God has inspired, what has God inspired for us and for this church in the coming years, we consider our commitment. Colossians instructs us to set our hearts on things above. It's very difficult to focus our attention on God when we are distracted by all of the things that are happening here right now, by a virus and by other turmoil that's been brewing. But that's the call on our life. How do we focus our hearts on those things that are above? Those things that are going to matter, not just right now. And not just for tomorrow, but for all of eternity. How do we stay focused on Christ seated at the right hand of God? As the body of, this, of Christ in this world now, how often do we pause To realize the significance of the work to which we have been called, the good news to be shared, the broken hearts to be mended, the trouble to be embraced, so much to do, so easily distracted. Matthew's gospel sets personal and community priorities for us as well, together as a community of faith. We struggle, we work to help one another. Put that first, God's kingdom, God's righteousness, knowing that these other things will be given to us. Helpful conclusions and solutions might never be reached if we only invite folks to sit at our table who look and act and think like we do. Together, the possibility for good increases Fetty read that beautiful passage and led us in Psalm 23 Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Who do we exclude from that table as we seek first the kingdom of God? Together the possibility for good increases. To seek the things of God first if we're willing to listen to one another. Years ago, someone paraphrased John 3.16 like this. I've smiled and laughed about it a few times. They said, for God so loved the world, God did not send a committee. But I have observed committees who together have been able to work through things and struggle with things and come to a solution or solutions that one individual would never have reached. These verses from Joel and Colossians and Matthews, Give us an understanding, just a glimpse of what God has called us to do and be as the church in the coming year. And then one other reference. I was going to read the whole story, but I won't. We've been here a while. Read it sometime for yourself, if you will. Way back in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verse 25 and it tells the story of how the children of Israel were going to enter the promised land. And they sent spies ahead into the land. And the spies came back and said, there are giants in that land. And everything's huge and everything's large. And, and we can't do it, Lord. We're afraid. And Caleb, Lord bless Caleb, said, yeah, we can. If God is for us, if God is with us, then why are we afraid to go? But the voices a fear prevailed and they wandered in the wilderness for a long, long time when the promise was right there before them. What's our greatest fear, church? What's keeping us from being everything God has called us to be? How are we going to handle that fear? And do we realize that the God who calls us is waiting for us And it's going with us. Vision and hope are inspirations of the heart. When it comes to realizing God's vision for Newland First United Methodist Church. By our extravagant generosity. And by the extravagant generosity of the grace of God. We can. And I believe in my heart that we will. Arrive at that place. Amen.